From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats, the story of the 2017 Baseball National Champions, Part 1. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Under the direction of Kevin O'Sullivan, Florida baseball has become a national power and perennial College World Series contender. But it wasn't always that way. Prior to 2008, the Gators had made five trips to Omaha in program history, with the 2005 team getting all the way to the finals before falling to Texas. But after failing to make the 64-team NCAA tournament field in 2006 and 2007, Athletic Director Jeremy Foley felt the program wasn't reaching its full potential. You know, people will tell you I'm a huge baseball fan. I love all sports. I grew up in New England, Boston Red Sox guy, and just love baseball. Watch it to this day and, you know, know a little bit about it. And just um, always wanted Florida to have a great, great program. Um... You know, I wanted to be, you know, I admired the heck out of what was happening at Miami and Florida State. Not only were they in the NCAA tournament every single year, but they were in Omaha every year. And they didn't win it every year. In fact, Mike Martin never won it. Obviously, one of the all-time greats, if not the greatest head coach in baseball. That does not color the career he had. It just shows you how hard it is to do. Um, just like when we hired Pat and we hired Andy and we hired um, Joe Arnold, what, what we wanted to be was one of those 64 the University of Florida needed to be one of the 64 every year. And after that point, we had a track record of, you know, a couple years in, a couple years out, a couple years in, good runs, a year out. I mean, it just kind of it just wasn't what we thought the University of Florida could be. There's no reason in our minds why we couldn't be one of the 64. And then when you're one of the 64, anything can happen. He chose Kevin O'Sullivan, known to most as Sully, to carry out that vision. Sully had spent the previous nine seasons as an assistant at Clemson and had a reputation as a master developer of pitching prospects. The change paid off exactly as Foley had hoped and then some, with the tournament appearance every season, almost yearly trips to Omaha, and a steady stream of top draft picks. The one thing the Gators hadn't done in Sully's near decade in charge was win it all in Omaha. But that didn't stop the AD from signing him to a 10-year extension prior to the 2017 season that made him the highest-paid coach in college baseball, one of Foley's final acts before retirement. Well, Kevin had been here at that time nine years and had been in the tournament nine times. He'd lost in the first round his first year. He made a Super Regional and lost his second year. He made it in his third year. He'd been back to Omaha. He won in his number one seed in the entire tournament, hosting Gainesville. We lost the first two games. Right? So he had, he'd run the gamut. But what he had done is made this program incredibly relevant. And he'd been to Omaha a bunch of times. And so that's what we wanted. And I didn't see that slowing down. Uh, you know, he's incredi- he recruited at an incredibly high level. He had players on top of players on top of players. And they all went the same. Um, so obviously – he was being chased hard at that time by the University of Texas. And, you know, that's part of the gig. But, you know, you can sit here and draw a line in the sand and not do the right thing. And actually, you know, Texas has, you know, in my opinion, the best baseball coach in the country. And then what Florida's back to the drawing board again. When we had the program, we had tried to build forever. And so that's why we did it. We just we based it on his past performance. I was um, 
I was convinced, and obviously, uh, without a crystal ball, turned out to be right. At some point in time, he knocked down the door, just like Tim did, just like Rhonda did, just like Billy did, just like Urban did, just like Steve did, you know, just like Buddy Alexander did, you know, rolling torn Chris again, go right down the right down the list. And so, um, you know, we rewarded uh, past performance, but we also re- rewarded him for building the program that Florida, in my opinion, deserved and had always tried to had always tried to achieve. With the business side clearly settled before the year, Sully began preparing for the 2017 season, knowing he'd lost a lot of talent from a 2016 team that went to Omaha as the number one seed, but was shocked by a two-and-barbecue exit started by eventual national champion Coastal Carolina. But regardless of what happened in the past or what was to come in the future, the expectations remain crystal clear for the head coach. We go into every year thinking we got a chance to get to Omaha, and I don't think that year was any different. I did think that our our team was going to be a little bit different um, offensively than it was obviously in 2016 because we had lost so many of those older hitters. But I did like our pitching. But the biggest question mark, other than our offense coming into that year, was you know how the whole pitching staff was going to line itself out. The Gators welcomed a talented freshman class that began meshing with the returners in the fall. And despite the lack of experience, nearby Williston native Austin Langworthy sensed the team had a little extra something about them. Obviously, it starts with fall ball, you know, and we scrimmaged almost every day. And you you could just see it with how locked in the pitchers were and just the bats guys were having offensively as well. That's, I mean, that's the biggest thing is the fall ball you take from it, you know, and just getting prepared for the season, getting tuned up, getting locked in. Among the returners, few were as decorated as starting pitcher Alex Faito, who was coming off a 13-3 season with a 3.180 ERA as a sophomore and was tabbed to be the Friday night starter. Given that he was high on every projected draft board going into the year, Faito knew it was likely his last chance to try and deliver a title, though that didn't play too heavily into the approach leading up to the season. I don't think we ever felt like any pressure. I think we, I think we always had a pretty good uh, mindset for the 2017 team. I think we did a really good job at focusing just on like playing good Florida baseball and not worrying about having to go out there and perform for scouts and worry about how high we're going to get drafted, stuff like that. So I, I think our mindset was a little different. I think before our junior year, before that 2017 season, I think a big focus was guys like just all right, like, yeah, we're trying to do really good, but like, we're really focused on trying to get drafted high. And I think that we kind of changed that a little bit. And from what I've heard, it's kind of been the same since, uh, if that makes sense since then, like for now on, but I don't think, I mean, I think, so my, my freshman year, I felt like when we went to the world series, it was like a crazy experience. Cause we got to see like, the, like how it felt to be in like this huge stage on ESPN, you know, every it's so magnified. And then, we get to win three games. So you get to see how it feels to win like at the big stage and uh, like how cool it is. Everyone loves you. And then also we like got to feel what it felt like when we lost a big game, like one of those games it was like, damn, like we're like, we're one loss away from being knocked out. And um, that was, that was a cool like thing to take away. And then 20, that was 2015 the 2016 season. We got, I think we went in there with, with a little too much confidence. I think we thought that we were unbeatable because we had such a talented team, and that kind of hurt us. So I think losing, going 2-and-Q that 2016 season made it 
made us like re-remember that hey like these guys want to beat us just as bad as we want to beat them like they're not going to just roll over because we're university of florida Mm -hmm. and i think that really helped us for the 2017 season because i think like we were talented a lot of people say oh you guys aren't you guys weren't the most talented team like yeah we had a ridiculous amount of talent in 15 and 16 but like we still had compared to other teams like our 2017 team was still ridiculous talent wise like most teams still aren't even they don't ever have a chance to have that much talent and uh so I felt like we had a lot of talent, but we were kind of overlooked a little bit. So we just kind of had a grinder mentality to just go out there and like really just play to win. Whether outsiders recognize the talent or not, sophomore pitcher Jackson Coar was clear-minded on what those in and around the program expected. Luckily, when I stepped into Florida, I mean, Sully has done such a good job and we had so many talented players that the expectation is always so high, it almost becomes a new normal. I mean, I think, you you know, every year Florida doesn't make it to Omaha. Like last year is, a, you know, a big failure because they just made it to the postseason. And then, you know, it's just, it's to the point now where when it, even when I was on campus, when I showed up, it was like, if we don't make it to Omaha, you know, season's a wash almost. And I think you get so used to those expectations that they it becomes a new normal. So it really doesn't, it didn't weigh us down. At least that's what I feel like. I feel like we always had such high expectations that, we got. I got used to it. Um, and the tough thing about baseball is you, you got a lot of games, so you're going to lose. I mean, it's it's different path than a lot of other sports as, as opposed to you, you can't get too hung up on the losses because you play all the time. So I think, you know, the perspective is definitely good with a long baseball season, just knowing, hey, it's all right to take some lumps. You just got to be playing your, your best baseball at the right time. Under Kevin O'Sullivan, the Gators were always built around a rock-solid and deep pitching staff with a fearsome weekend rotation that haunted SEC opponents year in and year out. And while they lost two-thirds of that rotation with the draft departures of aces Logan Shore and A.J. Puck, Sully felt confident they had the right ingredients on the mound. Well, we knew Fido was going to be our number one. You know, we knew Singer was going to be number two. We knew Jackson was going to be our number three. I didn't know the depth of our bullpen at that point. But the, the thing I'll tell you about all three of those kids, they're all, you know, you know, they're not kids, they're grown men now, but they're all very competitive. And, you know, pe- people have said that this may not have been your best team. Well, you know, my answer to that all the time is it ended up being our best team because we ended up winning the last game of the year. And the pitching staff got it got off to a good start with Alex Baedo. And he set the tone every weekend. And it took a lot of pressure off everybody else because he usually went deep into the game. You know, and obviously having Singer as a number two, there's not many schools in the country that can do that. And obviously, I don't know if anybody's got a number three as good as Jackson Coar. So I thought our starting rotation was going to, you know, end up being hopefully, you know, one of the best staffs in the country. Yeah. I mean, I think on the surface, we all seem kind of similar, you know, tall righties, you know, good fastballs. But I think we all pitch and get guys out in different ways. Obviously, Alex has such a good slider. Um, and then, you know, Brady has, you know, is, is going to be a sinker guy and has one of the more electric fastballs I've ever seen. And then I'm, I'm obviously going to be a changeup guy. So I think. I think that dynamic was definitely nice for us. We all were kind of had different strengths. And then at the same time, I think it's nice, at least for me, that year thrown on Sunday is I get to see those two guys go through the lineup. And I think we went undefeated on Sundays for a while, or we maybe lost one or two along the way, but we did such a good job on Sundays. And I think, you know, part of the reason was those guys would help me out a bunch as far as, hey, you know, Alex would sit down with me after the game or Brady would sit down with me before the game and just be like, hey, here's what I saw. Here's this guy, you know, they did such a good job of, I benefited from, from being kind of the third wheel um, in that rotation. So 
I think, you know, all of us being a little bit different and then those guys reaching out and, and doing their best to help me out, I think was a huge reason. And I think we're all really competitive too. I think there's, there's no looking by, you know, I think we, we would all be lying if we said we weren't competing with each other. And I think that definitely helps. While observers marveled at the remarkable arms Florida kept producing, Coar acknowledged that inside the clubhouse, it was simply the norm. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I almost got used to it my freshman year because it was Logan, AJ, and Alex. And those were, you know, Logan was the Golden Spikes finalist, and then obviously AJ's in the big leagues, and then Alex was a first-rounder. So I kind of maybe got numb to it as I got older. You know, you just kind of like that was just kind of the norm for us. So um, I definitely think when you look back, you start to realize how special it was to be around those guys. And I think we were all really lucky to be surrounded by such, you know, talented people. And like I said, it's it makes it a lot easier to show up and, and get your work in when you know there's going to be guys competing with you and working hard right beside you. Another constant in a program consistently loaded with talent is relying on younger players to contribute and mature quickly. The thing about the big staple with Sully is, I mean, we, we don't have a lot of seniors. We're never going to be an old team. No matter what year it is, we're, we're young. So I think it's imperative for Florida to have productive freshmen. I mean, that's just the way it is. We have every year and you have, you know, maybe one or two seniors and you're going to have to have young guys contribute. So I think the older guys, I mean, when I when I got on campus, the culture was so good on the pitching staff. Of, it was super competitive, but it was really healthy. It was healthy competition. And, you know, I say it all the time and it sounds you know, cliche, but it's, you know, the iron sharpens iron. It, it's, it was so true for us at Florida as far as so many talented arms are always there that it's always going to, you know, it's always going to make everyone compete and, and push each other. And I think the culture that the older guys set when I showed up on campus was we're going to turn this into a healthy competition. And I think, you know, as we all get older, we kind of try to keep keep that going and, and carry that on. And I think even, you know, watching this year, I can tell that guys like Tommy and, and Jack were doing the same thing. So it's, it's been good to see, but, you know, ever since I've known Florida baseball, the culture has just been, you know, we're going to be competitive, we're going to have a lot of good arms, and we're going to push each other. And uh, I think that's a huge reason for the success. Arms were a plenty on the 2017 team, but the bats were a much bigger question mark. The Gators had lost both Pete Alonzo and Buddy Reed to the second round of the 2016 draft, and with it, their leaders in batting average, doubles, triples, homers, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, and RBI. But while the offense may have lacked the same wattage of star power, they found ways to collectively compensate. I think the lineup, we got a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys. And it was just a gritty group. I mean, when you look at Mikey Rivera, you know, Dalton Guthrie, you know, we got a lot of production out of Ryan, you know, Ryan Larson, Christian Hicks. I mean, I mean, he was as versatile as anybody we had. You know, we got Jonathan India playing third. You know, obviously, J.J. Schwartz goes down as one of the best hitters in the, in the program. You know, Langworthy they get some big hits. You know, Lippitt got hot at the end of the year. I think we got a lot of different guys contribute at different points of the year. But once we started getting confidence in ourselves, things started to come together for us. The early part of the 2017 season saw Florida collect home sweeps in their first three weekends over William Mary, Miami, and Columbia, with the only real trip-ups being in midweek games against intrastate foes like UCF, Jacksonville, and Florida Gulf Coast. Everything was right on track leading up to the start of SEC play on St. Patrick's Day, but there was nothing lucky about the opening series at Auburn. We had just come off a, a one nothing win against Florida State, so everybody's feeling good about themselves. We go to Auburn, and, you know, Alex Fajardo has one of the only bad outings he had all year. I think we lost 14-3, to and then, and then obviously we lost a one-run game the second day, and then we lost a one-run game on, on Sunday. So we weren't that far off, but I think... After Alex got hit around that first night, I think it kind of spooked everybody a little bit, and, and obviously the weekend didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. 
Well, I think losing to Auburn in that first SEC series was was huge for us because we, I mean, Auburn's a great program, but it wasn't like they weren't, I don't think, like super high nationally ranked. They didn't just win a World Series. They haven't been to the World Series in a little bit. And like we, all, we respect everyone in the SEC, but I think going to Auburn and getting beat up for three straight days really made us have to like sit back like as the coaching staff and the, the players and be like, man, like we got to turn it up because like anyone can beat us, especially now that we're in the SEC. So we, we got swept there. I remember that was really tough. And like, I think the team took it kind of hard, but they, but we were also at the same time, like, well, we got a lot of season left. Like we can do a lot from here. We were coming in and we had dropped a couple midweeks, but we were still, I mean, we were one of the top teams of the country. We were Florida, you know, all of that. And it was my first ever SEC weekend starting. So I was a little anxious just to see how it went. And I'll, I'll never forget getting on that bus after Sunday. It was like, you know, a morgue in there. You just, <laughs> that never, you know, that just never happens. If the bus was a morgue, you would assume Sully was the mortician. But Coar insists it wasn't simply losing that fired up their coach, but more about how games were lost. No, I mean, I think Sully is really intense. That's no mistake. I mean, if you, if you spend any time around him, you know he's, he's an intense guy and he, he hates to lose. But at the same time, I, I've always felt he's incredibly fair. I mean, when the boys, you know, have a good – like if we, if we go out there and had a good game and, and, you know, didn't make a lot of mental mistakes and just got straight up beat, you know, you're not going to hear much. It's the times when, when it's the mental stuff or the laziness and stuff like that 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 will really, really get him going. And, uh, I mean – he he was never he never had to be too motivational when I was there at least just because I think the expectation was kind of already set. I mean I think the boys kind of already knew what what to expect, so he never had to give a big you know rah speech before any games because we kind of already knew the expectations. But I think he did a good job that year of pushing the buttons when he needed to, and then letting us take care of stuff when we needed to. And obviously that that served us well down the road. For me, I was just confused because I really did think we had a chance to be a fairly good offensive team. And for whatever reason, we got off to a really slow start. And I couldn't put my finger on it, to be honest with you. Um, and at that point, you know, we really started ramping up the defensive stuff um, at, pra- at practice a little bit. We, we kind of figured out, okay, if we're going to be pitching in defense, then we've got, to, we've got to excel at those two things and hopefully get hot at the end of the year or as the season goes on um, offensively. The nature of a 70-plus game season doesn't leave a lot of free time for soul-searching, with up to five games a week the norm through most of the year. That means figuring things out as you go, often in unexpected ways and places. For example, Florida's first reckoning came just a few days after the Auburn debacle in DeLand. Well, like I said, it was right after the Auburn series. So we go to Stetson. And we're playing a tight ball game, which which is normal because obviously the, the in-state schools are very good. But when you score four runs in the 10th, certainly you don't expect to give up four in the bottom of the 10th. <laughs> so we get all this momentum. It was like, you know, there was a sense of relief, so to speak. And then we had to go back out in the 11th. We scored another one. We put a zero on the board. But, you know, we could have very easily, you know, not fought back in the 11th, you know, because that doesn't that doesn't happen very often where you score four and then give up four. You know, especially in the 10th inning, coming off, you know, a three-game loss um, at Auburn. So I think the resiliency of that game, and I I never really realized that until the whole thing was over. But if we lose the Stetson game after scoring four in the 10th, you know, who knows what happens against LSU on that Friday night. But it helped us give us some confidence and maybe, you know, know, had them relax a little bit more. And it's remarkable because when you look at our record, we won the SEC that year. And I think we won, you know, 52 ballgames. But that part of the season was was a real pivotal part of you know for us to get turned around. 
The Gators got some bounce back in their step just in time for a visit from a top five LSU squad that'll come back around in a big way at the end of this story. But on March 24th, it was simply the next conference matchup and one that Florida badly needed to win to right the ship. Obviously, we're 0-3 after the Auburn series, and then we got LSU at home, and we won the first game one to nothing. So that tells you everything that you need to know about Alex Fajardo. He just came off an outing where he, he got hit around, which, rarely, like I said, rarely ever happened. And then he goes out there next Friday and beats LSU one to nothing. But you're sitting during that game going, well, we certainly don't want to get off to an 0-4 start. I mean, 0-3 is bad enough. Mm-hmm. So that game in itself, the way he pitched, you know, was a pivotal point of the season as well. Then I remember LSU comes to town, and that was a huge series. And I got to play with like Alex Lang, who was their Friday guy. And I remember taking that like really personally. I was like, oh, well, like that's a buddy of mine who I play with now with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a buddy. Like, I don't want to let that guy beat me. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going out there on Friday and I like, I felt like that was the most important game I've like ever pitched in, in my life, even though there's other really big games. I don't know if I could, but at the moment. And once I felt like we won that game, like we knew like, dang, we just beat Alex Lang. Like, it was a really good game, really close, and it was like we got a good chance to win the series. Brady just turned it around, did the exact same thing, just pitched really well. And then we should have swept in that series. We kind of blew a Sunday lead, but then that kind of just told us, like, hey, hey, we can't compete with anyone, but we have to play with like a mentality that, you know, we're not the best. Like, yeah, you can be confident, but you can't be cocky. Taking two or three from LSU certainly helped the Gators build back some confidence, proving that Sully's frequently quiet guidance hit just the right notes for that team in that moment. He always told us that if he had to try to motivate us, like, then we're on the wrong team, basically. Like, like you should be able to motivate yourself. Like, not that he doesn't motivate us, but he wants to pick and choose. Like, he can't go out there and give us a rah-rah speech every, you know, every single game. Like, you can't do that 60 times. It, it just doesn't mean as much. Keeping a team on track in any sport on any level also requires strong leadership from within the group which this team enjoyed thanks largely to an impactful senior class, a rare occurrence in the college game that sees most stars depart following their junior season. Well, you know, obviously, you know, Ryan Larson, you know, being older, you know, J.J. Schwartz, of course, Mikey Rivera, of course. You know, I don't want to leave anybody out because it was, you know, Nelson Maldonado. I mean, he played hurt, you know, the last third of the year. We had so many different guys contribute. You know, I'm looking at these names, Jonathan India. I mean, we there were so many different parts to this thing that once things got gelled, I think they they work together as a collective group rather than, than one guy. And then obviously from the pitching staff, you know, Alex Fajardo kind of set the tone, you know, for both Brady and for Jackson and for Michael Byrne and, you know, the rest of the guys. It had a lot to do with like, I think we had a lot of guys that were leaders and in roles that maybe fans wouldn't even realize that these guys were leaders and very important to our team. But like just, we had really good veteran leadership, I thought. And like guys like Ryan Larson were able to like kind of show us that things were important without like making too big of a deal and like how we should act and how we should play, stuff like that, which meant a lot. And I think that's why our team had just a really good bond. Florida won their next four after dropping the finale to LSU with another midweek win over FSU and a road sweep of Missouri. But as we've already pointed out multiple times in this tale, it's a long season. And even when things are going well, there are likely going to be more potholes along the road. As soon as we got going in the right direction, it felt like then Tennessee came and, and then they ended up taking two or three from us, which not in a million years we would have thought. Um, and then that was kind of kind of the kick in the butt that we really needed. And then I think the boys kind of had enough after that. We were such a close team that we were able to use that to to come together. But I mean, 
if you know Sully, you know it's not real fun walking into the clubhouse after any loss, let alone getting swept or losing <laughs> two. I mean, losing two of three at home was not fun. I think we used that though, and we channeled it in the right way. And and obviously, we got really hot down the stretch. I think we ended up winning, you know, eleven or twelve SEC games in a row. And that team was so fun because we had so many unlikely heroes. I mean, there was there was so much that went on that year as far as dudes stepping up. Like I don't know if like Larson had a big you know, a big home run against Ole Miss and Christian Hicks had long at bats and he had to play short and Mark had to catch Colesberry, Mark Colesberry. And like, we had guys go down, guys fill in. It was just crazy. The amount of big at bats and big plays we had from everyone on the team. Um, and, and I think when we got to Omaha, that, that was a big boost for us. Just having so many guys comfortable playing multiple positions and being in different situations. It was, it was awesome. Uh, that, that stretch where we got hot. I mean, it was, there was nothing like it. Most championship teams feature an elite closer, and that was another problem the coaching staff hadn't quite solved in the early stretch of the year. But through trial and error, sophomore Michael Byrne emerged and made his presence known, proving to have much more to offer than a freshman year where he produced no saves and an ERA of nearly four suggested. He started his season as, as a starter, and his first start was against JU. I think it was the fourth game of the year, and he pitched great. And we ended up giving up three runs at the bottom of the ninth to lose three to two at their place. So we, we lost some really tough games early. But, you know, he didn't have his first save, I don't think, until like March 11th for Seton Hall. And I think his second save was like March 28th against Florida State. And I think a real turning point for him, we played Tennessee. He, he got the loss on Friday night. He got the loss on Saturday night. And he got the save on, on Sunday. So from that point on, he just took off. And you think about it only have two saves through the first six weeks of the season, and he ends up with 19. That shows you how good he was and how valuable he obviously he was for us. And he wasn't your normal closer. I mean, he, he threw multiple innings. He threw back-to-back days. And even on that weekend, he went back-to-back-to-back days. But for him to bounce back and give us a really important win on that, on that third game because we lost the series to Tennessee really showed me a lot about his character. I mean, what Byrne did was crazy. I mean, Byrne pitched really well in the fall as always. And he always pitched like a starter. So I don't think anyone would ever said, no one would ever say like, oh, this guy was going to be our dominant closer. Um, just cause like that wasn't Burns style of pitching. That wasn't, that's not like the closer style of baseball, really. And I, I remember Burn, he pitched well in the midweeks at the beginning of the year. But then we knew cause we had such a young bullpen. Like we had so many freshmen there. We had some guys transfer out. We didn't have a lot of older guys that were pitching. And I remember my, my fresh, my class. So, I was the only PO that came in that class. So like we didn't have much junior pitching. We had like Horvath who was a two-way player to, and we brought him in from junior college and we had Rubio who was a senior. Everyone else was our sophomores were and Brady and Jackson, they were starters. So then we kind of had to rely on the freshmen and then burn. I think burn pitched all three games against Tennessee. And I think we lost two out of the three. Mm-hmm. And I think he might've got like two losses or something that, that weekend. <laughs> but and everyone kind of like, we knew we shouldn't have lost that that weekend. Like we kind of, I think we, we weren't as focused as we should have been again. And, but I think like we got to see how good Burn was. Like he, he saved, even though we lost the games, he pitched so well that, uh, I think that, that's what gave Sully some trust. Like, Hey, I think we got something here. And, um, I think, I think from then on out, I think Burn was just like, like never gave up another run. Well, I, they, they come in all different ways. I, I think typically you think that that the closer is going to be the hardest throw on a team and that type of thing. But what I learned from Michael is the ability to throw strikes, the ability to throw a slider and change up at, at any time, the ability to hold runners, the ability to field his position and to control his heart rate. And he was a different type of closer, but an effective one. 
you know, just like we had Ben Speck this year. I didn't know he was going to end up being our closer. But when he was able to throw a breaking ball for a strike, you know, and a fastball count consistently, and he could throw that change up for a strike consistently in fastball counts against left-handed hitters, and, and his stuff is probably better than Michael Burns. But it, they come in all different shapes and sizes. But, you know, just, just the ability – to handle, you know, to handle that moment. And obviously the, la- the last three outs are sometimes the hardest, out, you, know, you know, outs to get. With the closer role settled and a clear identity forged, the Gators got into a nice groove, completing the season sweep of Florida State, taking two of three while scoring 30 runs at Vanderbilt, grinding out a home series against South Carolina and sweeping Ole Miss, Georgia, and Alabama. Far from a turnkey operation, there were certainly some buttons that needed to be pushed along the way by the coaching staff, but they were informed by Sully's experience and feel for this particular club. Well, I, I think you have to have the ability to adapt, and I certainly have adapted over, you know, over my career. You know, I think there are times where you almost want to push your team a little bit harder when things are going good, and sometimes you want to you know, push less when they're not going as good, but just, just like this year's club, you know, I didn't think we'd get off to a 16-0 start. I mean, you really just don't know. And really, our job as a coaching staff is to figure out our roster, figure out how we could put everybody in the right position to be successful. And although it was frustrating that we were not hitting as well as I thought we would, you know, instead of beating our heads against the wall, we tried to really focus on the starting pitching. Like I said, who's going to be the guy at the end of the game? Let's play airtight defense. Team chemistry is also something that has to come together, and it can be tough to generate in college where players can so easily be broken down by age. But unlike a lot of teams that can develop distinct cliques, Fido noted the lack of class warfare. The freshmen hung out with like the seniors, like everyone hung out with everyone, and I think that was huge. Like I remember um, most of the time before that season, you know, the juniors would live with the juniors, stuff like that. Like the freshmen all live with the freshmen, and I think that's good. So, like, you have your friends that you hang out with, like, you know, from when you get there. But, like, in 2017, I remember Cole May came in and he moved in to my place with me and Guthrie, and Michael Byrne moved in to our place. So, we had two juniors, a sophomore, and a freshman. And it was like, that was kind of like unheard of, I felt like. And I, I thought that was big because then we were able to have like Cole's freshman class. We, we could have guys come over there and hang out with us or, Burn sophomore class can hang out and like everyone just kind of gelled together and we weren't the only we all lived like in the same pretty much complex like apartment complex so everyone hung out with everyone it wasn't just our place like uh, I remember India and Lippitt's room like in, J- in JJ like they always had people over there so like we just had a really good chemistry on and off the field. As the Gators continued building momentum toward the end of the season and chasing a conference crown they did encounter a bit of a snag in early May. Despite seven straight midweek wins after a rocky start on school nights, their final midweek game of the year raised a few eyebrows. I mean, I'm just looking at some of these tough, you know, these tough games that we played. I mean, we played uh, South Florida, I think it was on May 9th. We watched 17 guys that game. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I think it's a school record. You know, so (laughs) we're getting ready to go in the SEC tournament, and we watched 17 guys in a game. But then once again, we showed some resiliency. We played for the SEC championship against Kentucky. We lose the first game, and we win the next two. We win the SEC outright. And I can't speak for the other coaches in our league, but for us, it's really important for me and the University of Florida to win the SEC because obviously if you, if you win the SEC East and you put yourself in position to win the SEC, then obviously you're going to be playing at home during the postseason. And there's a reason why those years are put up on the wall out in the outfield at McKeithen Stadium right now. And we've been to Omaha 
more times than we won the SEC. That just goes to show you how difficult it is. But for us and for me, that's one of our major goals. And I, I don't shy away from that. And I know the ultimate goal is to win the national championship. But the SEC championship is, is really, really important in this program. It was the program's fourth SEC regular season championship under Sully and the 14th overall, which also cemented the Gators as the number one seed in the conference tournament. The opening game in Hoover, Alabama, helped close an open wound from two months prior, as the Gators edged Auburn 5-4 to avenge the sweep. After a day off, the rested orange and blue demolished Mississippi State 12-3, setting up a semifinal date with Arkansas and Brady Singer on the mound. In a season full of surprises, what happened next was truly stunning, as the Razorbacks lit up Singer for eight runs on seven hits in just one inning on their way to a 16-0 Mercy Rule beatdown. The Gators had to soak in the bitterness of that performance as they drove back to Gainesville, and it's easy to see how a stinging loss like that could shake a team's confidence heading into the NCAA tournament. So just how concerned was the coaching staff about that scenario hurting the team's championship hopes? Well, I, like I said, I, had think, I think we had been through so many ups and downs during the season that this team you know, kind of had some calluses, so to speak. Um, I think they, they, they got to a point where they were able to flush out the negative and move on to the next one. And like I said, you know, we're, we're going into the last weekend of the year against Kentucky, and whoever wins the series, two out of three is winning SEC. You know, so you lose the first one, and you're at home, so now you feel a little bit of pressure, and you bounce back, win the next two, and win it. You know, like I said, I think that team learned how to bounce back through all the ups and downs during that season and be able to, you know, for lack of a better term, flush things out and move on. Next time on Gator Tales, Gator Greats, the NCAA tournament begins with Florida charting a nail-biting and unpredictable road toward Omaha immortality. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thanks for joining us for this installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.